Chacha Pinks. You are listening to Behind the Lens. And we are back. I forgot Jar Jar was introducing us today, Brian. Welcome back for another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. Uh, throughout the week, 24-7, you can find my movie reviews and interviews on over 140 publications printing online around the world. But every Monday, you can find me right here on Adrenaline Radio at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And we're kicking off the month of November. Are we, are we not trusty sidekick Brian? Trusty sidekick Brian here. And yes, the month of October was way too short for my liking. And it was a jam-packed month here on Behind the Lens. Every week was was a, a, a better show than the last, for sure. Especially Halloween. Halloween was awesome. Halloween having Oscar winner Mark Mangini with us. A real treat. And for anybody that misses any of our shows, you can find us on iTunes. Every show is on iTunes. You can also find uh, every show on MovieSharkDeblore.com and AdrenalineRadio.com in the archives. So... Check us out, like, comment, subscribe, uh, but then every Monday, listen for us here, and today we've got, we've got a big show coming up today, um, a favorite guest of ours, a wonderful, the head crazy bitch of the crazy bee nation. We're not counting how many times we use that word today, Brian, just so you know. Jane Clark, writer-director Jane Clark of the hilarious, horrifically fun Crazy Bitches is back to talk about the upcoming Crazy Bitches 2, Mommy's Behaving Badly. Um, so Jane will be with us uh, in, in just a few minutes at the quarter hour mark. Uh, you don't ever want to miss listening to Jane. And uh, we're going to talk all about the Indiegogo campaign uh, that is currently going for Crazy Bitches 2 and all the cool perks and merchandise you can get. And at 11.30, I, at the half hour mark, I am so thrilled we have with us the filmmakers from a charming, fun, and incredibly auditory film, All in Time. Uh, writer, director, co-writer, director Chris Fetchko and co-writer, director Marina Donahue are going to be with us. And we're going to have some music today. That was, that was a great surprise this morning to get an email from the film's publicist that uh, we actually are going to hear music from the film, from the incredible group, the Badleys, uh, who come out of Pennsylvania, and Laura Shea from my home territory, Philadelphia. Um, you're going to hear some of that shortly. What do we decide, Brian? Are we going to do play? No, we're going to play that later. Yeah, we decided on the half-hour mark. We have... There are so many behind-the-scenes doings here, and my feeble brain doesn't always remember it. Um, but right now, we're going to do a favorite segment. Are we not? I'm ready for it. Well, then, by all means... Where we talk about food. No, we're not talking about food. Brian's already yelling he's starving today. Yeah, it, I woke up hungry. Well, that's not... That's not different. That's... But. Yeah, and I, it, last week was Halloween, so you got candy last week. You do not get it this week. Oh, yeah, no. That's but right now we are doing a, a segment that is here due to popular demand. It is time for... 
It's the Star Wars countdown. Oh my God. I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. All of you, please don't turn off. Yeah. Don't turn off the show. I, oh. That popped in my head right now. I'm proud of myself for that. <laughs> I, I, know, I, I know you loved it. You, you loved it. Okay. Star Wars. Let's do this one quickly because we have an action packed show. Rogue One. When I open this page up right now, I got so excited. My heart dropped a little bit on how many days we are away from it. Okay. 38 days, 12 hours and 55 minutes to go. When, Disney, you're listening, I know you are, please, please start selling the tickets already because I am getting anxious that I can't pre-order my tickets. Last year around this time, I already had my seat for episode seven. So get on that, Disney, please. I, I want to know where I'm going to be sitting already. I'm not coming into work on Friday because I'm going to be, I'm going to watch it twice on Thursday. Just to let you know, I'm going to watch it twice on Thursday. But uh, not too far behind, Star Wars Episode Eight is 402 days away, 12 hours and 54 minutes to go. So that one is close as well. And, of course, did you see that over the weekend, a new trailer for Rogue One dropped? I, I was at the gym when I saw it for the first time on ESPN. It's on my website. Oh, Everybody, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's there along with all kinds of cool images, uh, the new po- banner posters that dropped. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's beautiful. It's getting very, very exciting. It really is. They showed more Felicity Jones in the new trailer, yes. which I'm excited for because she is she is a cutie. I and she her. kicks ass. Yeah, and she does. Yeah, she looks like a strong female character, which I love. I love that Star Wars is coming out. I, I couldn't tell you how overjoyed I was to see so many little Rays from Episode Seven. I saw every little girl was either Ray or they were Kylo Ren. Yeah, and I love that. I love that that finally. There is a strong female character yep. in the Star Wars franchise where you can be that that for 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 the for the children, dude. I loved it. I, I love I love seeing the little rays. I I, I, I know. It. I thought that was I. It's just fabulous. It was so adorable, and I saw a lot of adult rays too. Yes, but it's the little girls that are the best. That's the cutest, yeah. Yes. So we're going to take a short break right now, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk Hacksaw Ridge, the best picture of the year. It's time to get crazy with Crazy Bitches 2. That's right. The team behind Crazy Bitches is back and needs your help to bring Crazy Bitches 2 to life. You can back the film and do your holiday shopping at the same time thanks to fun swag and exciting opportunities that will ship just in time to put under or on your tree. Christmas ornaments turn deadly when mommies behave badly and someone can't take it anymore. So go crazy. Join the Crazy Bee Nation and go to the Indiegogo campaign at igg.me backslash at backslash crazy bs2 crazy b nation crazy bitches too and welcome back to behind the lens i am debbie elias creator host and film critic and you just heard a little tease of what's going to come when head crazy bitch Jane Clark joins us shortly. But right now we're going to we're going to hear a little bit of what happened at the press day for Hacksaw Ridge. If you haven't seen it yet, it opened this weekend. Mel Gibson is in fighting form. It's been ten years since we saw him behind the camera, and he does not disappoint. Um, Hacksaw Ridge, it's based on the true story of the very first conscientious objector to ever be awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, which was presented to him October 12th of 1945 by Harry S. Truman. Um, it is the story of, of one of the battles on Okinawa, that which occurred on the escarpment known as Hacksaw Ridge. And Desmond Doss was a young man 
who was determined never to pick up a gun, never to pick up a knife. He was also a practicing and very devout Seventh-day Adventist. Uh, He held to his morals. He held his convictions and beliefs. And he still wanted to fight, but he wanted to fight by saving lives. And that is what he did. And on a night while they were being bombarded after hours and hours and hours of an onslaught by the Japanese, the battalion, the 77th battalion pulled out. Desmond Doss was still on top of Hacksaw Ridge and was getting ready to leave also when he heard fellow soldiers calling out for help. They were up there, they were alive, they were trapped. He stayed up there and he single-handedly rescued uh, 75 men and lowered them down a 400-foot escarpment to the beach below. It's an incredible story. Mel Gibson has delivered a film that is beyond reproach. It is technically flawless. The story uh, written by Robert Shankin and Andrew Knight is fabulous. So I had a chance to commend Mel and the team at the press day, and here's what the exchange went down. First of all, congratulations to all of you. Mel, it's been well worth the 10-year wait for this film, Best Picture of the Year. Oh, I think about you. I want to ask you, Mel, about your editing, John Gilbert's editing and your sound design is some of the finest I've seen in a film, especially a film with battle sequencing. Can you talk about working with your considerations and working with John and your sound team to achieve the level of immersion that you did? Well, uh, you know, uh, John is now working on another film I'm involved with because I loved what he did so much. And, you know, you, you, you start to work with someone. He's got good credits, you know, Lord of the Rings and stuff, you know. And um, But it wasn't until I actually worked with John. Like, I was a weekend and I was worshipping him. So, um, you know, it's beyond question. The man's a truly great editor, film editor, and uh, did wonders with some of these images, too. Like, I was like, wow, that's cool. You know, let's stick this together with this. They don't belong together, but by God, it works, you know. <laughs> and it's crazy, right? But... Uh, um, uh, the sound team, I mean, didn't they just win an Oscar or something? Uh, those guys for like Mad Max or something. Then, so I, I hunted them down in Sydney and there they were doing nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, why not? And just to clarify for everybody, we talked about this last week, Mark Mangini, the sound designer on Hacksaw Ridge is actually Rob McKenzie. Mark Mangini was the sound editor, and it was his sound team that won the Oscar for Mad Max. But uh, Rob McKenzie, and uh, hopefully we're going to have Rob on the show coming up uh, sometime in the near future. Um, But he did an amazing, amazing job with the sound editing and the sound design. I can't recommend this film highly enough. But, you know, where did this story come from? Since 1945, no one has told this story. Nobody knows of this story. So I asked the two of the producers who were on hand, David Permit and Bill Mechanic, you know, how'd you get the story? And then, of course, the obvious question, why Mel Gibson? Okay, we need to hear from the two men that found this story and brought it to all of us. David and Bill, how did you find Desmond's story? And then what led you to Mel as the director? David, why don't you kick it off? Well, I'll just briefly tell you because it's a, been a 16-year journey for me, so I'll encapsulate that in a, a short story. Um, 
there was a stunt coordinator named Joel Kramer who had worked with me on a number of films I produced, and uh, he actually mentioned Desmond's name to me for the first time 16 years ago. And he knew a friend who had known Desmond who came into my office, and they told me the story of Desmond Doss. And I didn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was one of the most heroic, miraculous stories I've ever heard. It sounded like it was made up. And I thought I knew history quite well, and I never heard of Desmond Doss, and nor had anyone else, because I found out that I wasn't the first person interested in telling Desmond's story. I was preceded by Hal Wallace, the legendary producer. I was preceded by Daryl Zanuck. I was actually preceded by Audie Murphy, who met with Desmond Doss. So Desmond had Hollywood at his doorstep, I found out, and he had no real interest in exploiting his story. He was a very modest, humble man, never considered himself a hero. And um, uh, it's a long journey, but basically what happened, uh, there was a gentleman named Terry Benedict, who is another reason we're all here and had the opportunity to get this film made after so many years. Uh, Terry had a relationship with Desmond, and he was convinced, uh, he convinced Desmond that he would leave it up to his church, the Seventh-day Adventist, to basically uh, interface uh, with us eventually, and I'll let Bill speak to that. But Terry Benedict uh, was doing a documentary at the time and gained Desmond's trust. He was very close to Desmond and the church. He was a member of the church. So Ke Terry became kind of the, uh, the liaison for us eventually, uh, and what happened was I had thought about going to a number of places to finance the early development of the project and had a couple of conversations with a few people. And Bill had just uh, left Fox and started his company. And I was fortunate enough that I brought it to Bill, uh, and Bill really responded. And we got involved in the very early stages of development with, uh, with Terry. And um, it's been a long journey. Uh, you know, uh, the term development hell in Hollywood, I guess, it, it took a long time. But I said to Andrew earlier today, you know, I think things are meant to be when they're meant to be. And the way this film has come together with uh, everybody here is, um, is a miracle in itself. And obviously when Mel became involved two years ago, that's when we uh, really started to gear up finally for production after all those years. Anyway, Bill, I'll let you uh, fill in. Okay. Um, so... Terry Benedict had the rights. Terry, I bought the license, the rights from Terry and the Adventist Church. There was a they set up a council, DOS council, to protect the rights of Desmond, and and we had a very broad agreement, which was really we would not do anything that would that would contradict any of Desmond's beliefs, and nothing else. We would have a license to tell the story the way it should be. Um, so I funded I funded the rights and and thought you had to do this independently because you didn't want the religion to be more or less you didn't want you, you just want to tell the story the way the story is, should be told when what Andrew said of the structure that we decided with Robert is it's very unusual it's it's not a three act structure it's pretty much a two act structure in that you're you spend the time meeting people and then you dropped into battle. So we brought in Robert, who was a you know had run the Pulitzer for Kentucky Cycle and and had written on two of the shows of the Pacific. Um, and he wrote the Johnny Bassaloni story, which is almost Desmond's polar opposite, more like Smitty. You know, he's the guy who fires the machine guns. But anybody who understood a hero to me could understand the other side of that. So and Robert kept Robert's script was good enough that kept us alive for ten years or eleven years 
of it really wasn't development hell. There's only three writers on the project. Um, and so it was more the financiers, you know, people didn't, you know, World War II wasn't in vogue. The, you know, religion was an issue in the picture. Two-act structures, you know, you know that when we're, we're in the, uh, to me, the worst of times in the movie business and that the movies are, you know, all prefab houses and, and you know, every, all anybody cares about is it is a sequel and everything else is thrown away. And when you're making a movie with scale, you can make really small movies, but you can't make those middle-level pictures today. And that's really, it's, so it's not development hell, it's Hollywood hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and in 2002 and in you know, 2010, I took it to Mel. I mean, we did, I was, when I was running Fox, we financed Braveheart. Um, when I first met with Mel, the Braveheart was stuck in the same kind of limbo. People didn't want to make it. Who cares about Scottish freedom and, you know, and a guy in a kilt and all that stuff. And, and when I sat down with Mel that first time, he knew he had watched, I think, every battle scene in every movie ever made and took me through the movie of, you know, this is what we're going to do, this is how it's going to be, you know, and all that, the Mel stuff, you know. And he's better at that. But um, and, and so it was an easy movie for me to get behind. And I always felt this movie was a different form of Braveheart. I used to pitch it that way, that it's William Wallace and Desmond Doss are in some ways very similar men. They were they were two men who who were prepared to die for what they believed in. Um, so one was violent, one was nonviolent, but it's still at that same center. And it just felt like with the religion, with the faith, because I think even though I think we've, we've done well by the Seventh-day Adventist. It's really not a religious, it's not a movie about religion, it's a movie about faith. Um, that, that with Mel, is who he is as a person, um, and the battle stuff that, uh, you know, there was, there was nobody else. I mean, I've never gone to the same director and had them reject me twice, you know, to go back the third time. Uh, it's, a, it's either a glutton for punishment or everything worked out perfectly. And and perfectly, it did work out. I can't encourage you enough to go see Hacksaw Ridge. It is an important telling of a key man and, and key battles in the annals of American history. Uh, but right now, I am thrilled. We have her here live once again, the head crazy bitch of the Crazy Bee Nation. Hello, Jane Clark. Well, hello there. How's everything going? Well, it's going. How's everything going with you? Uh, you know, moving forward, one step at a time. One step at a time. I mean, you know, I don't know if you were just listening uh, to the excerpt of when I was talking to the producers of Hacksaw Ridge, and even Bill Mechanic is talking about, you know, you got Mel Gibson attached, you've got this great story, and you still, you can't get money. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's yeah. it's finding that that middle ground, and that's kind of, I guess, kind of where you're at right now with Crazy Bitches, too. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where you, uh, well, particularly when you're talking these lower budget projects, um, you have to finance it almost purely on equity of some sort. So, you know, just cash coming in the bank, and there's several ways to do it, and I'm just, I'm putting it all out there and hoping that as a collective thing, it's going to amount to what I need, at least to get into production, because once I get into the production, I think that I, I'll i be able to show show the film to people and get the rest of the money, but 
I need to get into production and um, for my mental health as well. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know i i can honestly tell people you know there are a lot of of people because right now jane has a great indiegogo campaign going and we're going to talk about that in a second but there are so many filmmakers that will start an indiegogo campaign or they're out you know pitching for money and looking for things and the money isn't going for the production it's sustaining their quote-unquote life expenses while they're getting around yeah. to making a film and that's not what you do no, well, that's not really what those Indiegogo <laughs> campaigns are for. Um, you know, I mean, I, I a lot for all the money, and I know where it's going, and none of it gets spent until the production is underway. Mm-hmm. You know, it sits in a it sits in a bank that's dedicated to crazy crazy bitches too, or as I was calling it, crazier. But <laughs> but um, uh, and yeah, no, of course. It, I, I know people. I've known of people that do that, and I think that that's unfortunate because it skews the potential for everybody else, mm-hmm. you know, who's legitimately raising money to see the movie made. But this is, you know, this is my. This will be my fourth feature as a producer, and my third as a director. And I have a track record, and uh, I have never, you know, I've always seen it through. Mm-hmm. I've always gotten my films made once I've committed to getting them made, and. Um, and I have a, I, you know, I have a history of spending the money where this money's supposed to be spent. So, um, I take that actually really seriously, partly because, you know, I have to also finance with investors. I've put my own money into mm-hmm. my films. Um, I've done product placement and everybody, you know, everybody expects a certain behavior and expects you to respect the money that they give you. And, uh, you know, I certainly give to other Indiegogo campaigns. I hope that they'll do the same. You know, I hope that they'll handle the money the same way that I would. So, yeah, I think it's a, from an integrity standpoint. It's well, I mean, I can honestly say, Jane, that, you know, go, knowing you through Crazy Bitches now with Crazy Bitches too, you know, and looking and checking out the, you know, the website, you've got crazierbs.com. I mean, you have everything accounted for. You explain how you're approaching this entire film from from story synopsis to script to casting to product placement to, you know, hey, if you want to invest, if you want to, you know, give $12, that's great. And then six months later or a month later, if you want to give another $12, it's all cumulative. And yeah. this is yeah. something that you don't normally see the amount of detail and transparency that you are given that you are showing everybody well you know i i feel like i feel like you you can't be as helpful as you could be unless you're as fully informed as you can be and it was one of my pet peeves when i was acting where i would you know ask the cinematographer or i would ask the director you know what is my frame or you know um, when i did this you know, when, at what, what point did I do this? Because I feel like I'm out of continuity. Like, I'm asking the questions to make sure that technically my work as an actor was as good as it could be because because creatively I was able to deliver. But for some reason, people feel really fearful about sharing the details of how a film is made, from the, the DP telling the, the actor to, you know, the producer informing the the writer. It's like, I don't know why you would hide the information and not give everybody the knowledge they need to do the best job they can do 
So I sort of have taken that philosophy. I've always applied it to my work as a filmmaker, and I have just continued to apply it outside of that to people that are giving me the money because I want them to understand. And I also think, you know, making films is a big mystery for a lot of people. How is it done? I have an invest. I have a a donor who's been very generous to me over the last couple of campaigns and continues to be. And she emailed me the other day, and I just because I had said thank you so much for you know always being there. And she said, I just I, I hope someday that I'd be able to sit down, um, you know, for 15 minutes with you over coffee and just find out a little bit about how it's done, like how our film is made, because I just I find it fascinating. And she had actually got my original script, so I was one of my perks on my last thing was my original script with all my notes mm-hmm. and my diagrams from the shoot. And I asked her, I said, did you enjoy it? And she said, I didn't understand any of it, but I loved looking through it. But, you know, it's like that kind of, that, it's like we keep it all secret. And why are we keeping it secret? It's, it's I don't know, maybe people think it's going to kill the magic, but I just think it makes it more interesting. And then you feel like you're committing to something that you understand what you're committing to rather than blindly investing in something, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you look at anybody that has seen Crazy Bitches, you the production values are exceedingly well done are are very high and yes red blood jane is very 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 attentive to blood in her films <laughs> <laughs> well you know i have to share that credit with my visual effects guy cuz he's just fantastic and he's amazing he worked for a while as a um an emt yeah, you know, he was actually legitimately an EMT, and he saw a lot of blood and a lot of accidents. And you know, he comes with a great deal of knowledge. So he's been teaching me a lot as we go along. It's been great. So now I'm curious with Crazy Bitches too. Mommy's behaving badly. Do we see a lot of blood in band aids? <laughs> will Will we see blood in band aids? I don't think you're going to see a lot of Band-Aids because once the blood starts happening, the Band-Aid is really not going to do much. Well, you know, to give people an idea, because I know you already have the script done. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And this takes place, PTA Mommies. Now, for all of you people out there who might have seen Bad Moms, okay, knowing Jane, Jane is going to take something like the idea of Bad Moms, and now we have Mommies behaving badly here. So you take the raucous behavior of bad moms and we translate this to a kid's Christmas pageant in the PTA, I can just, my mind reels at what Jane is, yeah. go, is going to give us. It is, so, I have to say it's so much fun. And I really love the first Crazy Bitches, but I think I top it with this one. I, I really, I'm, I'm, I've sort of freed up a couple of restraints that I had on the first one and I'm, and I just know that because I know the characters so well, a lot mm-hmm. of the... You know, there were a few people that lived through the first one. They're coming back. So I have a real strong base of where I'm starting from. And I'm bringing a lot of the same actors back. So I have, you know, I have that to go with, too. So I'm able to build on some really already firm ground. Um, but it's fun. It's so much fun. I mean, it's so much fun. I can't wait to make it. And honestly, you know, I went to see Bad Moms with some mommy friends of mine. I was really curious to see what they did, and I was curious to see how my friends with, you know, preschool kids or, you know, kids in school, how they reacted. And mm-hmm. everybody was pretty much like, you know, that was fun. It was funny. It, you know, it didn't, it wasn't a great movie, but it was an entertaining day out, you know. But I couldn't help thinking through the whole thing that 
you know, if you love Bad Moms, even if you liked it, you're going to really enjoy Crazier because because I'm not I'm approaching it with the same idea, which is that these women aren't really bad, mm-hmm. except that they're a lot more bad than <laughs> the women in Bad Moms, <laughs> who basically just wanted a cocktail. Like, I was like, I have plenty of girlfriends with kids, and we go out for cocktails. Like, why is this such a hard, like, a girls' night out? Why is that so inconceivable? I don't understand. But, you know, Crazy crazy Bitches 2 really pushes it a little bit farther than that in their behavior. But ultimately, like, they're like the girls in Crazy Bitches. They're still, they're good they're good women. Mm-hmm. Just have some issues. Yeah, and I get and the issues end up getting them killed. You know, and because this is set at Christmas, and all I keep thinking of, knowing you, knowing your style with crazy bitches, I keep thinking it, it's like a this, crazier bitches too. Crazy bitches too. Mommy's behaving badly is going to be like a meld of crazy bitches and Bruce Willis in Die Hard. <laughs> Well, we have some good fight scenes. We definitely do have that. See, and I think that what's that? No, I was going to say, you know, it's it's like I just keep think that's what I keep envisioning. Well, I you know I don't think you're that I don't think you're that far <laughs> off. But it's, it's it's I've sort of amped up everything that was in Crazy Bitches. I took it a one step further. So like the really cool fight scene in Crazy Bitches on the hill, mm-hmm. magnify that three or four times, and that's what's in. Crazy bitches too, and, and I was going to say, and your cast—that you've got Candace Kane back. Candace is coming back. She's 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 a much much bigger role this time. Oh, thank God! And you've got John yeah. McLaughlin. Yeah, John's coming back, and Gwyneth Turner's coming back, and I believe David Fumero's coming back. He's waiting to find out what his schedule is for Power. He's on Power, and they shoot that in New York. So there may you know we'll see what happens with that, but I'm. Um, I'm going to try to make that work. And uh, then uh, the woman who plays Alice, Victoria Profeta, the woman who plays Minnie, Liz McGeever, mm-hmm. um, uh, Kathy Tubono is coming back. And then you've got Trey McCurley. Trey's, coming, Trey's got a bigger role. Um, actually, everybody who was in the original has a bigger role, and then the smaller role is people that are coming in. Yeah. Aren't you yeah. generous? I don't know. I love these people so much. It's so much fun to work with people you've worked with before. And I just, they're all, really, honestly, they're all good friends of mine. Um, some of them are were new on Crazy Bitches, so they're new, newer friends, and some mm-hmm. of them people I've known forever. And then I have this, so I have this fun um, sort of side thing where Guinevere Turner plays um, a soap diva, and she's got a kid in the school, and, you know, she's basically Susan Lucci with blonde hair. <laughs> And, she, and you know, you could see Guinevere playing it. It's just a perfect, perfect role for her. Easily. But I have some on-screen um, moments where you see the actual soap opera she's in. So, like, uh, Kenneth Kane's assistant is, is uh, oh, funny. like, loves, loves, loves the soap. So anytime she gets a chance, she's watching it instead of working. And so I needed to shoot a couple scenes. I'm going to have to shoot a couple scenes with Guinevere and another actor playing you know, a soap actor. Mm-hmm. And I have this friend of mine, Kirk Geithiker, who used to be on One Life to Live years, way back in the day. And I, you know, I haven't talked to him much recently, but we have stayed in touch on Facebook. And as I called him, I was like, you know, I don't know if you want to do this, Kirk, but this could be a lot of fun. And um, and then once I started thinking about it and how I could use him, because he, he totally was all over it, thought it would be a, a hoot. 
I started thinking about how I could incorporate him a little bit into this one so that I can carry him into the next one. Because Kirk and I have always wanted to do a film together. We were actually supposed to, I was supposed to direct him in a project years ago that fell apart. So this is like a full circle. We're coming back around to being able to do what we had meant to do, you know, 10 years ago and just weren't able to. So that's kind of fun. Um, and, you know, a little, a little uh, tongue-in-cheek since he was a soap actor playing, he'll be playing a soap opera, uh, opera star in a soap <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like a very meta, a very meta moment in my life. And those, those are cool moments. So now, so now before I, I unfortunately have to let you go today, you know, I keep you on for the whole hour. Um, <laughs> and we could talk for four yeah, hours. We could. We could. <laughs> yeah, um, for sure. How can everybody get involved and become a part of the Crazy Bee Nation and support Crazy Bitches too? Well, the most obvious, obvious thing you can do is donate, and the Indiegogo campaign is uh, igg.me backslash at backslash crazy bs2. Tweeting that out, sharing that, telling your friends, all of that's like, very, very helpful. We're having a party. If you live in Los Angeles, we're having a party, so you can go to the Indiegogo uh, page and buy tickets. It's November 16th. From five to eight, it's a happy hour party with, you know, pictures, photo booths, silent auction. Actors will be there. You know, drinks, pass around food. It's going to be a lot of fun. So if you live in LA, come to that and support us through that. Um, and yeah, just keep talking about the project. We we need the help. We definitely need the help. We're a little film trying to um, to be bigger than we are and bring entertainment to everybody. You know, so. And I can't. And the and the perks you have for people, it's not just that you're supporting a real. What's going to be a really fun film, it's and a great and a wonderful filmmaker herself, but the perks are, are just absolutely terrific. Oh, good. I like them too. I think the perks cool. are great. You've got you have personalized dog bowls. You've got uh, Christmas tree ornaments of which what I only bought what seven or eight of them. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't even remember. I gave them out to people last year. I may have to get more this year. Um, but you know what we got coming up too, which is really cute. Um, it's a little camisole with boy shorts and it says crazy bitches too on the front of the camisole and, or I think it might just say crazy bitches and crazy bitches on the back of the panties. So they're really, I mean, it's super cute and it's a really nice uh, Christmas gift. If you know a you know, crazy bitch in your life, everybody knows at least one, trust at me, least one. Well, my friend, during the campaign, you're going to have to come back on the show again so we can talk about it more. I am more than happy. I know. I know. I love having you. I love being there, here, wherever I am. Wherever. I love being on the phone with you. I know. We always have so much fun. I mean, and as I said, I'd have you all day. But now I have to, I have to bring on two other wonderful filmmakers who have a really fun film with time travel and music and all kinds of cool stuff. Ooh. Oh, cool. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll listen I'll listen through and check their stuff out. Oh, definitely. And Jane Clark will be back with us. In the meantime, everybody go to igg.me backslash at backslash crazy bs two and join the crazy bitch nation and support. Mommy's behaving badly. Please. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Jane. Talk to you later, Debbie. Bye bye. And now a special lead in for our next special guest.
And we are live with the incredible filmmakers, Chris Fetchko, Marina Donahue. Hey, guys. Hey, hey how, how are you? Doing? You see, you even get your own soundtrack as, as your intro. I know. <laughs> Thank you so much. Welcome, welcome. And for those listening, that is the music of the Badleys. And I got to tell you, the soundtrack alone is reason enough to see all in time. That's oh, what people say. And people are downloading the soundtrack as they're leaving the theater. I, it is. I, and I'm, I'm a huge lover of music and films. You know, my my master's thesis was actually on the Hollywood movie musical, so I like to see oh, how music wow. is incorporated oh, wow. and used in film. Um, and yours is, all of your music here, it is not gratuitous, it's not inserted just to have stuff. It is very much integrated into your story. Thank you, yeah, yeah well, we thank, definitely thank made you. an effort. You go ahead, Chris. I, um... And in, in, if you buy the actual soundtrack, we we wrote a little thing in the liner notes. And for those of you that don't know who liner notes, what not liner notes are, that, <laughs> you know, for the for the the older people, um, we wrote a thing in there saying that you know the music actually inspired the film because somewhat autobiographical, where I worked with these artists before we made the movie, and um, I'd like to think it's one of the few films that the soundtrack came before the film. So the music is so organic to the movie. I mean, you, you being your, doing your thesis, I would love for you to tell me if I'm wrong because uh, I'm I'm not very researched on the matter. You know, this this particular all in time would not be what it is without this mu- without the music of the Badleys and from Laura Shea. Exactly. I, it, right. it is. It, it both are so integral. Two totally different styles of music integral to your story points to your very personal journey here chris yes right away it was like all right this is chris chris is writing about chris which is why i'm so glad that marina came on board collaborating because it enabled instead of being so autobiographical with the character of charlie you really got to get some depth and perspective with a third eye Right, and yeah, because it was, it was interesting because I wrote the first draft of the script and it was almost like a journal entry, right? Mm-hmm. And I gave it to my friends and family. And, of course, my mom is always on my side. And, you know, my friends are, are, know the whole story. But Marina came in and she was completely neutral to what was happening. And, um, you know, we, I was smart enough to where we didn't want to do a biographical piece on me because nobody knows who I am, so that's not going to sell a movie. <laughs> And nobody knows really who the Badleys are. So Marina was like, okay, I don't care what happened in real life. Let's make it a great movie. You know, so it was a good collaboration. Now, for those that aren't familiar with All in Time, which, by the way, everybody, there is no excuse not for you to see this film. You can find it on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Vimeo, the music. You can download the track on Amazon, iTunes. No excuses not to see this charmer of a film. (laughs) But I'm in love. I am in love with this film. I think, Aww, thank you so I think, much. I think, I think Tim will tell you. It's like I sent him an email. It's like, oh my God. It is. Thank you. It, yeah, we're getting them really great reviews. People who are watching it on Amazon are writing their reviews on it. And we have a 4.9 out of 5 stars right now on Amazon, which we're pretty, really proud of. Well, and I can't wait. And I'm so thrilled to get to share this information. The other day, 
all in time just got sold for distribution in China. That's right. right. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm particularly thrilled because there are two out, two online out publications in China that actually download and pick up the video of Behind the Lens and run it in China. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so great. So Can we be using Google China? Translate right now and talking in Chinese? <laughs> no, we're not. They actually they actually download the whole show off of YouTube and they air it over there English. They don't touch anything, they don't change anything. Okay. Wow. Granted. Wow. Do we have some copyright infringement going on? Yes, but as my attorney said, uh, how many billion people are in China? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. But yeah. for those that do not know the story of All in Time, other than the fact that it is based on Chris's life in part, mm-hmm. give a synopsis of this little gem. Go ahead, Marina. Okay. The unvarnished uh, so- one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's about a guy who quits his job in New York City to move home to his small town in Pennsylvania to follow his dream of managing his favorite rock and roll band. And uh, as he's on this journey, uh, he, you know, he's obviously completely changed his life to follow his dream. Um, he's, he invests all of his money, his time, his effort, everything into this film. And he also has a beautiful, supportive girlfriend um, played by Vanessa Ray, who mm-hmm. is um, from Pretty Little Liars and Blue Bloods. Uh, she's beautiful in this film as the girlfriend who starts to get a little bit um, pushed aside, I should say, by Charlie's behavior as he gets more wrapped up in the band and as the band starts to have problems. So uh, it's a journey, really, of the relationship um, between uh, these people and um, and the choices that we make in life um, as we follow a dream and what we give up for our dream. Um, it's, it's actually a really beautiful love story. And... Um, with some great surprises. We have oh, some big twists. <laughs> you have <laughs> some twists play. in there. And I will let people know, only be, without giving away what one of the twists is, Lynn Cohen, the beloved Lynn Cohen, mm-hmm. who also mm-hmm. has another movie. She's in another movie that's out right now, The Pickle Recipe. I adore right. Lynn. I first met her six, seven years ago when she was in Hello Lonesome, and I interviewed her. Oh, neat. Yeah, she's a pistol. We have a we had a ball with her. Yeah, so Lynn, Lynn plays this nosy next-door neighbor to Charlie. Whenever Charlie comes home, Lynn is there rocking in a rocking chair, uh, inserting herself into his business, um, but with a very big heart and, and a very well-meaning. And when Char- Charlie loses his way, it's Lynn's character who puts him back on his path. The, wisd- so the plays- wisdom of age. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. But yeah, you right. have you have some wonderful. You got a couple more twists in there. But something that I really love about Lynn's character of Mrs. Joshman, all of her geraniums grow beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, since this is a film behind the lens, let me tell you what we did with that. <laughs> we had me. a very creative art director <laughs> and his team. Uh, they would go for whenever we had to. Uh, you know, we were very very low budget, mm-hmm. and we had to cut costs at, at, at every turn. So when we needed to plant that garden for her, um, our team went over to Home Depot, brought all of these beautiful flowers, set them in still in the pots, and then just put bolts around them. We shot the scene, and then they returned all of the flowers. 
(laughs) 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 You know, and of course, you shot this, which I just thought was charming. Coming from suburban Philadelphia, you shot in Wilkes-Barre. Right. How? I I think. How did you pick Wilkes-Barre as your location? It's perfect for this film. Well, that's actually. uh, I'm from actually specifically a town called Hazleton. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. but Wilkes-Barre is sort of like the hub of that whole area. Right. And um, so that's where I grew up. And like in real life, there's this band, the Badleys, and, and they were, that's kind of one of their bases. You know, Pennsylvania is Philly and Pittsburgh, and then everything else is just called Pennsylvania. You know what I mean? Pretty so, much. So they had the Harrisburg base and the Wilkes-Barre base. So that was the closest one for me. So I would spend all my time in New York driving home on weekends to see them play in Wilkes-Barre. Were you crazy? So, Did your mother drop I, you on your head as a child? Were you crazy? Did your mother drop you on a head as a child? Oh yes. Well, I'm in therapist. We could conference. We could conference my therapist. That's right a now, long drive. Yeah. No. I. Um. It's a two hour drive, and and just like in the movie, I literally like I was like I was living in New York, and I was everybody was like, "Hey, come to the Hamptons this weekend, or come to here," and I'm like, "No, I'm heading to Wilkes-Barre," <laughs> and everybody was like, kind of making fun of me, and then. Uh, at one point, I was like, "Guess what, guys? I'm actually moving to Wilkes-Barre to manage these guys." So, um, but Wilkes-Barre is really important to me because the the charm of the city yeah. juxtaposed to New York City. Um, I love both places, um, but it, it it actually plays into the story really well. And uh, our photographer, cinematographer David Dunlap, who is the DP on House of Cards, who is just nominated for an Emmy like makes the city you know everything in the film is beautifully shot but but the city itself is its own character and uh i wouldn't shoot I, if i could have done it anywhere else even if money wasn't an issue mm-hmm. i would have shot it in wilkes-barre i, I think mean, marina would agree with that too right it's beautiful it's just absolutely charming and we wanted to make it a character in the film um and it actually is what lured in this amazing cinematographer mm-hmm he loved the script, but once he came to Wilkes-Barre and saw its beauty, he couldn't wait to shoot it. Yeah, Wilkes-Barre is still, it's not as developed as some of the other suburban areas. Right. Uh, so uh, the architecture is, it's well-preserved, it is maintained, and it is, it's a slice of the past that is timeless. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love, I saw that immediately, and I'm like, oh my God, it could have been Fort Washington, it could have been Wilkes-Barre, uh, you know, all these little, all these little enclaves. Yeah, right. and it's also a bit and, symbolic. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. But, no, but we can, uh, we shot the film um, in like we started in 2011, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but we set the film in in the 90s, Nin- and, uh, 1999 the, or something. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it starts in 1996, I believe, um, and it's like two or three years uh, over the course of the film. And um, everybody was like, "How are you going to pull off a period piece?" with a low budget. And I was like, have you ever been to Wilkes-Barre? <laughs> you know, <laughs> because there was an actual record store that was still there that, you know, people think that we built, but it was like literally still operating. And the saying is, it's like Wilkes-Barre is two hours and 20 years from New York. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, I mean, I'm from Plymouth meeting right outside, you know, Philly. And right. there's still, there's still record stores there. There's, you know, brick and mortar things all over the place, even in little strip malls, you know, the little pizza right. places that have been there for 40 years now. And it's fabulous. So, I mean, it is, people don't realize what you can find, especially when you're doing a quote unquote low budget, no budget film. 
that will add so much character to the film as a whole while being its own character. Exactly. And it's symbolic as well of Charlie's struggle. You know, the the town uh, had seen better days and it's in its decline, but yet there's still beauty Mm -hmm. and hope. And that's pretty much what Charlie, you know, he's looking at a band that has seen better days, but there's still beauty and hope. So it's a perfect symbolic place for us to set the story. So now because music is so important and the Badleys are very important uh, in this film, in the film called The Damsels, and I love how you spell it. It's brilliant, (laughs) brilliant play, uh, spelling it Um, (laughs) D-A-M-N-S-E-L-S. And I know you've got... You're, the lead singer and the drummer of the Badleys actually are in the film. Right. Did you have any trouble convincing them to participate? And why just a couple of them? Why not the whole band? Um, well, if it were if it were up to me, uh, the the one thing I wanted to do that inspired this movie was I was in the music business for a while, and I would see movies about music and it would drive me crazy when there was lip syncing Mm -hmm. or, you know, the two people go into a bar to see a band play and all of a sudden, as soon as they enter, the music dips and the people are talking normally, uh, normal level, you know, and uh, it's like, no, you scream when you go to a rock concert. Uh, I haven't been to any of those, any of those bars. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to have the music be as accurate as possible. So, um, the the relationship with the guitar player in the in in real life is what caused me and the band to sort of go our separate ways. So I kind of stayed in touch with the rest of the band. The band sort of fell apart. I went and wrote the script, met Marina, developed the script, and then um, the guitar player and I reconciled, um, which was great um, because we uh, had the whole band actually come and play their music and we recorded it live on Mm -hmm. set. So, um, and then what we did was we had playback when we were filming. So they're lip syncing to their own live recording. So it's almost like a concert film in places. I hope you agree with that. Um, But it's not a concert film. It's not the last waltz. You know, it's a story. It's a love story that happens to take place within a music world, you know? Um, but the only reason why there's two of them in there is because the Glenn character we really developed in terms of the acting. Um, you know, Marina, you know, there's was, there was an example of, you know, in one of the first drafts, I killed the guy off at a car, cra- a fiery car crash. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but we, so we, we, we gave this guy a really great arc in terms of acting. And we kind of wrote around everybody else mm-hmm. because they're not actors. So the drummer and the lead singer were able to pull it off. And then there's one guy in every band that never says anything. Of course. Um, so I wanted to put that element in there. And uh, so we have a silent guy that has no lines on purpose, and he's a real musician. And uh, the actor who plays a guitar player is the only non-musician in the movie that's quote-unquote faking it. And because we're behind the lens, that was one of the biggest challenges was to get this guy if you look at the editing it's uh it should it should win a, an award just for fooling the audience that this guy's actually playing guitar well i'm glad you bring up editing because i love the editing and i love the editing particularly with your musical sequencing and mike taylor who i've always been a fan of mike's work i know ira Sachs loves mike 
um, and what he did on Love is Strange. And then you've got Cindy Lee, Spirit Award nominee. Right. So you've got a great editing team in there. How long was this editing process? Oh, my God. I'll let Marina handle this one. I'm driving. (laughs) I can do the math. Okay, well, it's it, part of the whole process. It, it took us um, five years to make the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, uh, the first we, so Chris and I spent two years writing and casting and um, raising the money, and then we shot in 2011, and we edited the first go around, and the, and we tested the film, and it wasn't working. It just nobody really liked it. It was not doing well in the in all of the test audiences we had so we kept trying to fix it and it just it just wasn't working with the existing footage and the mm-hmm. existing dialogue that we had so we went back to the drawing board and we decided that we needed to kind of revamp the whole script and re-edit um, the characters who people weren't liking and people weren't liking our lead character people weren't liking Glenn the guitar player, people weren't liking Mrs. Joshman. Mm-hmm. And the really important key things, they weren't caring about them. So um, it took Chris and I a couple years to figure out h- how to fix this film, mm-hmm. and um, it almost died. I mean, it's just we needed a lot of money. We were at odds with what we needed to do, um, and the film really um, almost just completely died. And, in fact, it did for about six months. And um, and then, uh, we, you know, we... We got motivated, and a lot of funny things happened um, in, in that course of time. But we were able to come back together and write new dialogue for those characters. Mm-hmm. Um, we brought them in. We did ADR. We um, we hired a new editor to take a new approach with it. So Michael edited the first bit, the first um, film, and then Cindy started um, from scratch. Mm-hmm. However... Both Chris and I were really wedded to a lot of the work that Michael did, so we asked her if we could please use some of Michael's work in the film, which she allowed. Mm -hmm. So um, we re-edited, we put new dialogue in, we completely changed the story arc for Glenn's character, and we made him more lovable, and we shot new scenes um, where we had them reconcile at the end in a beautiful way. We, we started the film, at, like the first 10 minutes of the film is all things that we shot three years after the original. Oh shoot. my gosh. And then Cindy really did a great job putting it all together. And, um, and voila, we ended up winning 12 awards on the film festival circuit. Well, you know, one question I have to ask, because there is a little cameo in there from a, a very old friend of mine. How did you get Wopat in there? <laughs> Um, that was, um, well, the, uh, the, the dentist role yes. was actually a bigger role, um, in the, in the original draft of the script and our it casting started, agent started the film too. It was the very first yeah. scene. Yeah. Right. And, uh, our casting agent, Judy Keller was great and she was passionate about it. And, um, you know, Tom really, really responded to material being a musician himself. And interestingly enough, I uh, used to work at the label that Tom was at. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And um, so that had nothing to do with it because he didn't know me. I was kind of like a low-key kind of person. But mm-hmm. but um, on set, we had some fun discussions about the, the his time on that label and all that <laughs> stuff. But um, I think, I, think I, I can't speak for Tom, but I would imagine him being a musician himself kind of responded to the material. 
Um, because he literally, I don't, maybe I'm speaking out of school here, but I mean, he did it for scale, you know? And, um, you know, when people work for free, they're doing it for a reason, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and we, we didn't know him at all. We just approached him and thought he'd be good for the role. So I think he just responded to their script. Uh, I am sure, sure that that is what, what brought him on board. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause he's a, he's a good, great musician too you know oh he he really is he's a good songwriter he's a great musician uh, a lot of people don't know his work before he got to broadway um but no he go all the way back to wisconsin he was singing and performing then and his early albums are from the early 80s are fabulous yeah i have to be honest i haven't been able to ch- check them out but i'm gonna have to when i when we finally calm down from this tour that we're on <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put that on my list of things to to check out his, his early stuff because I only know from like 2000 on. Oh no, he's got great stuff from the eighties. One of his best songs in the eighties was called red hot and blue. Oh, hot and blue. Mm-hmm. Right. Is that on the red hot blue album? It cool. actually is. Okay. We'll have yeah. to check that out. Cool. I haven't seen it either. I do have a great Tom Wilpat story that I will always remember. because it's very special to me. Um, you know how when you're on set, there's a lot of downtime while they're setting up the cameras and the lights. Mm-hmm. So we were sitting around, and my daughter was also in the film and worked um, on the set. She actually played the waitress um, towards the end of the film. Who gets um, shunned and had, shushed. No, no spoilers, ladies. No spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers, but she's in there. Um, and she had just done Oklahoma for her high school um, production, spring production, and she and Tom sang a duet while we were just sitting around in the, in the waiting room of the dentist scene. And, oh, wow. um, oh, it was like, I'll just never I don't even I know. I don't even remember. I taped it. Interesting. <laughs> oh. That's yeah, great. it was really sweet. I'll never forget that. He's such a doll. So now I'm already getting, we didn't even get to talk about Laura Shea, and, who plays Laura Kelly. And I'm getting the, we've got like 30 seconds to go. Oh, so. no. I, ha- I must tell everybody can check out All in Time at www.allintimefilm.com. Yes. Yes. Laura Shea, Laura Shea is somebody that could read the fo- sing the phone book and mesmerize people. Um, she's, a, she's a person that I worked with. Uh, I found her. I discovered her record serendipitously. And um, in, just like in the movie, she didn't want a career in music. She wanted to just have a regular life and not be in the spotlight and all that. And uh, my dream was, okay, if I could just get this girl for two weeks to get her on film, then I can use the film as a way to get the world to see this girl's music. Because as much as I love the Badleys, Laura Shea blows people away. And uh, I'm just glad that she's she's a doctor outside of Philly, Philly now, like a speech therapist. And um, she's always texting me. She's like, I'm getting emails. I keep getting emails from all over the place about, you know, the film and stuff. So uh, I, my dream is that she has no choice but to be a professional musician. Well, guys, that's all the time we have today. Next week I'm going to have two of your cast members on the show. So we'll be talking oh, mo- more about All in Time next week. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You guys have to come back on the show when we have more time. We, we would, would love, love to. to. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris Fetchko, Marina Donahue, All in Time. And we'll be back next week. This is Debbie Elias for Behind the Lens. Mm-hmm.